This week, we have another edition of The Just Vote. Dean Douglas will speak with Reverend Gregory Lewis, the founder and president of Souls to the Poles and Pastors United. They discuss his experience fighting COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, and faith leaders' role in getting out to the vote. Good morning. I am Kelly Brown Douglas, Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary here in New York City. I want to thank you for joining us on this election eve for another of our conversations in the Just Vote series. I am honored to welcome to this conversation the Reverend Gregory Lewis. He is the founder and president of Souls to the Poles and Pastors United. Souls to the Poles was founded in 2018 to unite ministers and their congregations in Milwaukee's Central City to strengthen the voting power of the Black community. It is an alliance of churches committed to building an army of, as he has said, 100,000 voters, uh, an army of faith. So thank you so much, Reverend Lewis, for taking the time from your work to be with us on this election eve. Thank you for having me. Well, as I said, it's a pleasure. Let's jump right in. There's so much uh, to cover in our short time. But I want to begin by talking about the reality of two pandemics, because we are currently facing, as you know, the intersection of the two pandemics that are COVID and white supremacy, both having a disproportionate deadly impact upon the Black community. You, Reverend Lewis, are living witness, if you will, to those intersecting realities. For you are a COVID-19 survivor. Yes. The thing that maybe a lot of people don't know, that even as you were in ICU, barely able to breathe, not knowing if you were going to live, in fact, telling your wife that you didn't think you were going to make it, you continue the fight against white supremacy from your ICU bed. Can you tell us about that experience of fighting the two pandemics at once? Yeah, I, uh, I attracted the COVID-19 uh, in March. And, uh, you know, I, I, at first I thought it was, you know, something, you know, like a cold or, and then they told me it was bronchitis and I, and I was, you know, taking a medicine for bronchitis. And after that, I said, well, I feel worse. And uh, you, you, you make the call to go get tested. You go get tested and they call you back. And the worst thing you want to hear is that you have COVID-19 because there's no cure and, and people die from it. And, and when, and when I um, talked to my own doctor, she, she, she assured me that, you know, all I needed to do was lay there, rest, take Tylenol for the fever and uh, drink plenty of liquids. And I did that for about two, three weeks. And, uh, and uh, finally, you know, I, I just told my wife, I said, you know, I said, baby, I'm dying. And uh, then, you know, my friend called and got me to a hospital here called Frederick uh, Memorial Hospital. And uh, I got there through the emergency and went straight to ICU. And, um, you know, in ICU, the doctor told me, he said, well, if you don't do exactly what we say, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, you know, I was thinking he was gonna say, we're gonna help you, no, 
He said, if you don't do exactly what we say, you're going to die. And then, and then the, the, the other thing was that uh, I, uh, the, another doctor, it was three of them, but they didn't come in the room because it was so contagious. And the other doctor said, do you have all your business in order? And who's going to take care of it? I said, my wife. And then the other doctor said, if, if you become unconscious, do you want us to resuscitate you? I said, well, you know, I was thinking. Then they said, well, that's okay. Because if you become unconscious, we won't be able to resuscitate you. So I knew the seriousness of our situation. But, you know, and all of that, I told them, you know, they were taking all my valuables and putting them up. And I said, well, you, you leave that phone right there because <laughs> we because we still got work to do. I was sick, but I wasn't dead. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm the leader. And, uh, you know, people were worried and concerned. And I didn't want that worry and concern to limit their ability to be totally aggressive in organizing our people to vote. So I said, just leave that phone right there. And I could always take phone calls, you know, through all the wires and all, I, you know, I could still take phone calls. And I said, it wasn't any need for me not to do that. I mean, I'm just sick, I'm not dead. And um, so we, we were organizing. And at that time we were suing the, uh, the election commission right. in the state of Wisconsin to move the vote from April 7th to a better day when people would be safer to vote. And uh, my name was on that suit and, and I had to keep up with the lawsuit because it was being addressed. And finally, we, we didn't win the suit per se to move the date, but we did win time to count ballots. So uh, about, uh, it was about uh, 119,800 ballots were counted after April 7th, and that made it a possibility for a Supreme Court justice to be appointed to our Supreme, our Wisconsin Supreme Court. So that was a victory. And, and, and we just did that because, you know, you, so, so doctor, we have to always keep, you know, fighting. You, you can't, see, you can't, you can't feel sorry for yourself and you can't want other folks to feel sorry for you. This is not a game. And you have to do all you can while you can if you want people to understand the, the, the ability for us to fight even though we're sick. And I'm just saying that to you because our community is sick, but we're not dead. We still can fight. Yeah, well, I was going to pick right up on that because I love that metaphor. And our community and this country, right, is there's, it's, it's sick, but we aren't dead. And we're not dead. And we aren't dead. And so your souls to the poles, that that seems to be the governing principle of trying to prevent uh, these measures to suppress the black vote, getting that vote out. And, uh, and, and in Milwaukee, you've got all kinds of tactics going on. So for instance, all but five of your 180 polling places were closed in Milwaukee during uh, before this April primary, which created these long lines, of course, which we all saw about. So my question to you is what are the suppression tactics right now that you are most worried about in this election and that perhaps you have seen have an impact on trying to get particularly the most vulnerable communities out to vote? Well, doctor, I don't know if we got enough time, but I can give you, because <laughs> it's, 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 it's crazy. 
And you know, and I, I tell people, I say, man, if 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 your vote didn't count, why would they wouldn't be true. be doing all these <laughs> right. things, making these attempts to make sure you don't vote? You know, because you know the requirements for voting have been increased. The mm -hmm. uh, the photo ID since 2010 has always been a hindrance to people of color, uh, students, all those things. It's a huge obstacle to people wanting to vote. And the gerrymandering, you know, you got to have huge numbers of people just to overcome the gerrymandering, that, that, that kind of suppression. People say, man, what's the use? And then mail-in ballots, you know, people have, have tried to make everybody fearful of mail-in ballots and the psychology of all of that uh, to, to, to bring those ballots um, to your home, fill them out and mail them was the safest way to do it during COVID-19. And we had folks in, in very powerful positions trying to discourage people from doing that. And then, you, you, you know, just to help with non-English speaking people at the polls is limited. See, and that should never happen. Somebody should be in those areas helping these people with the language. Even voter registration was very difficult. Now, you know, we don't have registrars. You have to do it yourself. You have to do it online. And, and, and that and it just becomes awful because the most awful part was you have to upload your photo on your, on your ID and all those kind of things. And then just like you talked about limiting those uh, voting polls, you know, there was 180 voting polls right. and, they, and, they, and, and, and they only uh, had five polls available. And people were standing in line for hours during a COVID hype in, in, the, in, 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 in April, on April 7th. And then not only that, it's cutting back early voting. We had, a, we had a, an, an elected official go to the Seventh Circuit Court to cut early voting back from four weeks to two weeks. And, and then the latest uh, uh, court case here in Wisconsin, the, the Supreme Court um, uh, declared that if, if a vote, even if it was post-dated November 3rd, it would not be counted after November 3rd. And that was kind of a devastating blow to people who, you know, are doing mail-in uh, balloting. So, you know, it, it, and then it goes on and on and no, just the psychology of it all and people coming to our community just trying to convince them that their vote doesn't count and, and that they shouldn't even, you know, attempt to vote. Those things are happening and they and they and they focus their energy on certain people in certain areas to do that. And, and that and that is just enough to make you sick because it's no longer a dog whistle. It's just like a bullhorn telling everybody, you know, this is what I'm doing. And, and, and you just stop me if you can. And now they don't even try to hide the fact that votes are being suppressed and, and we're being disenfranchised and uh, devalued. Right, because what we know, and as was the case in Milwaukee uh, during the primary and continues to be the case across the country that when uh, that the polling places are closed, it disproportionately impacts uh, particularly uh, communities of color and particularly black communities and the black people's wait time uh, is uh, much longer than people in uh, non-black uh, neighborhoods. And we know that the ballots that are typically, as we saw uh, uh, the mail-in ballots that are typically questioned are the ballots of black voters. So. I want to ask you, what have 
you've been doing, particularly in these last couple of days. We're, we're, we're right up to the election tomorrow. So what has Souls to the Polls been doing and what have you been doing to try to uh, uh, stop and mitigate this voter suppression and to get people out? Because we know the only response to voter suppression is to vote. Uh, but so what have, what's the last uh, day or so? What's the weekend been like for you? So, so su Sunday was a early voting day. It was the last early voting day of this election season. And we are working with over 516 faith leaders. And it's not just Baptists or Church of God in Christ or uh, uh, Lutheran. It's, it's, it's like mosques, it's synagogues. It's, people don't understand the magnitude of what we're doing here. And so, so we, you know, talk to all, all of them to let them know that on, on this Sunday that we, if you have not voted, and I, and I hope they all have voted because there was two weeks of voting before that. If you have not voted today after services, whether they're virtual or in person, go to the polls. And so, so I went out, you know, to just thank everybody and greet people who were coming and, uh, you know, do interviews because we got people from all over the world wanting interviews about what's happening in Milwaukee. Milwaukee is kind of a big deal right now. So, so you know, I had a German uh, newscaster and uh, a, a uh, uh, one from France and Belgium. All these people were there. MSNBC was there. All these people were there, uh, so we, we we did those things just to try to get the word out that, you know, first of all, man, don't mail in those ballots. You got to drop them off. And second, it's the last day for you to come out and vote, and, and we just wanted people to see the church involved with that. And then other things we do, we just, uh, you know, the normal stuff, but... Uh, yeah, because apparently, and tell me, so while the uh, uh, black vote uh, is and the people who are voting uh, in the African-American community, the turnout in early voting is particularly high and reaching those levels that it reached uh, and even beyond with uh, the second election of President Obama, but apparently in Milwaukee is sort of an outlier in the concern of getting out the black vote in Milwaukee. And so, you know, what's what's going on there? And then how do you get, we know that black women uh, have the highest sort of a voting turnout. And so that that black women sort of carry uh, the vote in the African-American community to a, a point of about 90 percent of those that are registered black women vote uh, to, and black men, not so much uh, at those levels, maybe in the 60s. But then the most difficult demographic to get out is this 18 to 25 30-year-old black males. So how, what's going on there in Milwaukee and how, how are you trying to get out particularly that black male vote and that young black male vote? Well, you know, th there is, there, there is, there's not a formula for doing that. You just have to keep working hard. You got to stay on the telephone. You got to keep doing, you know, the, the social media you have to, uh, what we've done, we've got yard signs everywhere. We got billboards everywhere. We have uh, uh, door hangers everywhere. We just, 
flood the community with information because I don't think you're going to persuade folks at this point. You just have to give them the information and they have to make the decision. But you still have people who are so bent on not participating in a system that has not been good for them, you know, and then you got the suppression and here you are. So you, you fight like two battles. First, you fight the, the hopelessness of your people and then you fight the suppression and white supremacy and, you know, the disenfranchisement, you know, and, and I always say every day, you know, you know, how do how do we do this? I said, well, you got to be ready to fight Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier every day. So you got to fight inside and then you got to fight outside every single day. And you just keep it moving because organizing here is, is quite a chore because, see, this is where everything you know, I, I think Milwaukee is, is like the, the experimental place for black folks. People don't even know that black people are the majority here in Milwaukee. That's they right. didn't even know that black people existed in Milwaukee. And, and you just have to, there is no secret formula. You know, we just have to keep messaging, radio, television, print. And we've done all those things, but, but, but they have to see some victory somewhere. But the main thing we've done is we've said, listen, if you don't want to vote for a candidate, let's vote for power. So we're building a voting block, you know, a block of voters to control our local politics. So our slogan is we're an army of faith, the power of 100,000 souls to the polls. So we're, we're telling these young people, well, just let's just build a block. And they seem to like that idea of having some power so that you can manage your community in, a, in an intentional way. And that's what, you know, we've come up with, I, you know, I said, well, we want to build a block of voters, but that's what this has always been about, a building a voting block. But now we want to make it intentional and we want people to know that that's what we're doing. You couldn't do this a year ago because people were not ready for it. They were afraid of it. But, but since uh, Floyd and Taylor and Blake, the guy who got shot seven times in the back, now you can talk like this and people who are not people of color are agreeing with the fact that you need to organize yourselves for a power base. So, so that's how we're talking to young people. And it seems to be working because some of the young, um, the young leaders who have been in the marches, they agree with the fact that we need to create this voting block. And that's, and that's what we're doing. And what I like about what you just said is that, and what, what we often don't understand is that we have to so-called vote down ballot. We've got to be concerned with right the local politics. And I I I, I like this notion that you've just. So I don't want people to miss it. Uh, that you, if you can begin to allow people to see that their power, that their vote, that their voice matters, then you can do that on the local level, right? And control yes. the things in your community. Right. Uh, but, uh, and so while you may not be able to control the things on a federal level sort of in this abstract way, you can control the things that are happening in your community and young people and others can see, can see that you're doing that. So I like this notion of building a block of power that is intentional from the ground up. 
you've said, and, and I'm going to be faithful to, to our times. So I had a couple more questions for you. I, you have said uh, in the past that it only just begins on uh, November 4th. November 4th, the day after the election, is the beginning. And so that it's not while voting is significant, it's important, just as you've articulated, we must get to the polls, our, our voice and our vote matters. But we, but we can't we can't see that as the end game. So what do you mean when you say, but then it only begins on November 4th? Yeah, we have to develop this habit of voting. That's why we say souls to the polls November 3rd. But on November 4th, we have to start organizing ourselves for building this block. And that's what I mean by that. That's when the work truly starts. See, and in and, and, and organizing these days is so complex. You know, because everything has to be created. So it's an illusion in the beginning. And then you have to get the haters to, you have to neutralize the haters so that, you know, you can move forward. And what I mean by that is that you, you got to get some people just to agree not to interfere. And then you, you move forward with, with the folks who are wanting to move forward. And, you know, every day in this organizing, doctor, you know, is a day where, you know, I quit. You know, I don't even want to do this anymore. You know, every day, I'm not talking about some days, it's every day. I probably tell my wife, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. But, you know, the power of um, the impossible is, is the real power. And that's, and that's, what, we, that's what we've done with uh, Souls to the Poles. We've created the power of the impossible. Nobody thought that 516 preachers could work together. They said it won't happen. And, 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 that, and that's the power of the impossible. When they see it happen, they say, well, maybe. So now let's take it to another step. Let's all stick together and build this block. And I don't care if it's 5,000, 10,000, 25,000, 50, or 100,000. It's a block. And we need to keep it together to make sure that people understand if you don't want to cooperate with us, you know, let's get rid of this bomb, everybody. Let's, let's get rid of them. But if you want to support some of the community issues and, and some of the community ideas, those kind will support you massively. So that's that that's what I mean by we're going to start on November. On November 4th is when the work really starts. I mean, this is a cakewalk right now. You know, <laughs> we're trying to get the vote out, and you know how hard this is. On November 4th, we got to start talking about being together. And that's just something that people fight like the Dickens not to do is to work together. But see, you, you got to get the ones who want to work together, doctor. And then you don't worry about these other folks. You just keep moving. And that's how we've organized. You know, all this came out of an organization called Pastors United, which I'm the founder and the president of. And this is a wing of Pastors United. This is our civic engagement wing. And people said that couldn't be done either. And it's, it's over 416 members. And now we have 500 uh, we got 516 members that I'm in contact with, with souls to the polls. So that's what I mean by, you know, the work would begin November 4th. You keep dropping these little gems of phrases and, and, and I want to lift them back up. So people hear them, the power of, of the impossible, right? That yes. you, and what is that, what, what are we talking about here? There are people, so the, the difference Tell me about the difference that it makes when faith leaders go out there, because what you're doing, I mean, other people are organizing. They aren't particularly people who identify as uh, faith leaders. They don't identify with church, synagogue, mosque. 
uh, temple. But what difference does it make when you've got faith leaders out there, especially when you have other faith leaders who are saying that's not the role of, of ministers and faith leaders. They aren't to be involved in the civic engagement that you're talking about. They aren't to be involved in these issues of power, political power. So what the power of the impossible that that what does that mean how does that translate what's the importance of the faith community being out there a pastor so, like yourself so 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 when i say that it, you know a couple of things come to mind i was talking to a, a a pastor from baltimore he's a pretty active pastor and i told him what we were doing here and he couldn't believe it he thought it was impossible and and that's what people say when I talk about, okay, man, we're going to, you know, pull all this together. They say, well, no, it's not going to happen. But your faith, you know, the only way it does happen is through God. See, I, I know what God is telling me. And then you, you have to be able to create the illusion that you have expressed. See, and that, I think that's where my gift is. You know, if I can see it, then I can make it happen. And some people don't believe it, but I can see the steps of making it happen, you know, and 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 it and it has happened for for us here in Milwaukee right now. And and you know, I'd like to do this all over the country, really. But 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 it's but people looked at it as impossible until you let them see that there is a way to get it done. And then that gives people so much hope and it gives them strength and energy so that they can combine forces with you and bring other people in. And, and before you know it, it's developed into something that is very, very powerful. Like what we've done here It's very, very powerful. And people all, everybody told me that it couldn't be done, but I knew what God was telling me. And, and, and then the other thing, the other question I want to ask you is that, you know, for people who talk about, you know, the church shouldn't be involved. See, I hate to say it, but those people haven't read their Bibles because all the prophets spoke truth to power. Yeah. Every one of them. If you read the Bible, and I guess some people haven't, they believe that, you know, we shouldn't be involved. But even the king involves us. The king always, what does the Lord have to say? And the prophet always addressed that question. So that, that's nonsense to say that we shouldn't be involved. Just because they're talking about, you know, the, the, the church and state, um, differential, you know, people shouldn't be involved. You either do religion. Well, see, both of those things are kind of alike because you can't argue about either one of them because you can't win either one of those arguments. You can't win political arguments. You can't win religious arguments. But what we can do is we can work together to help our community. So we don't, we don't want to talk about how you baptize and how you do communion. We want to talk about how we're going to do community and how we're going to have a voice and hope for the people. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's not about not about the rituals and all of that. It's about community, how to build community and how to build the kind of community that God calls us to. Right. This right. For a more just just future. Uh, I, I like to say, Reverend uh, Lewis, that uh, when people when pastors and others tell me that I said, well, you know, uh, Jesus wasn't crucified because he prayed too much. Maybe because he prayed, he was able to carry it across. But uh, <laughs> it wasn't prayer that got him crucified. Right. Uh, he was out there doing what you're saying, building a just community that was reflective of God's just future. I'm going to leave you with this, the last word here. I cannot believe we're at 30 minutes. I could talk to you 
all day. But I want to, what do you want to leave us with and the people who are listening, especially as they are going to the polls tomorrow? See, I want people to understand, you know, we're in critical condition. We're on life support. We're on a breathing machine. We're in intensive care. It's cold red, cold blue, but we still have the strength to come together to resolve and, and relieve ourselves and heal ourselves of some of these issues if we come together. And we need to do that by creating these voting blocks. We need to be intentional about letting people know that we have the leverage to make you do what we want you to do in our community. Now, we may not be able to have, make you do things in the suburbs and, and these other places that we have no control over, but if you want to come into our community, you're gonna do what we ask you to do because we're gonna have this block of voters. That's our next step, and that's what we have to do. I mean, in the, even in New York, you know, grocery store owners, man, they, they had a voting block. You know, they yeah. told the people who were running for office, we're all together. And, and if you don't understand that, we're going to show you by not giving you our support. That's what we need to do as people of color and people who are, are poor. And I'm talking about black, white, Hispanic. In our town, if we, if we team with the Hispanic uh, 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 citizens in our town, we'd be 60% of the population. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's a voting block that we're trying to understand. And we need to do this all over the country. We don't just need to do it in Milwaukee. We need to start organizing ourselves so we have true power and influence and, and make sure that we have leverage to make people do what we want them to do and at least negotiate. We have to be at the table and we have to create these blocks. Well. I like that message uh, from the, every, every voice matters, every vote counts, and together uh, it is a block of power. And so to transform our communities, we have to begin to transform ourselves and understanding the power and the voice we have. And as you say, if we do that, then even that which seemed impossible, right? becomes possible. Becomes Thank possible. you so much, Reverend Gregory Lewis, not only for this conversation, but for your witness and for your ministry. And as we like to say, me and my house, thank God for you and that you have survived and thrived after uh, the two pandemics. Thank you so much. And thank you all for joining us. And Thank you, doctor. Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad I met you. I didn't know. <laughs> Glad I met you. This will only be the beginning. Yes. I hope of our work together. And God I and, bless you. So, Thank you. Yeah. You take care. And everyone listening, please go vote. Yes. Vote.